our 50 global partners around the world. This is our global outreach month. Our theme is fearless living fearlessly for Jesus. And what that means is every time you give a dollar, part of that money goes to missions to help support these 50 plus missionaries as well as the International Mission Board. I want you to meet somebody who is an International Mission Board missionary. We're about to launch a church in Peru next year with a Compassion Center too. And Jason Fenton has been a missionary in Peru. He's been living fearlessly. I'm talking really, really risky. And I want you to hear his story. Would you give it up today for Jason? Come on up here. One of our missionaries, because Jason has been living everything we've been talking about this year, living fearlessly for Jesus. He has a genuinely fearless story. So, uh, Jason, I want to introduce you to other folks and just kind of give a moment for you to let you share your story. About three and a half years ago, he's taken the gospel to remote peoples on the Amazon River corridor in Peru. And so, uh, you had a really scary thing happen. Why don't you share it with folks, would you? Yes, sir. So picture this. This is my first trip out, uh, and kind of the goal, the mission, is to spend three to four months uh, in a remote village uh, deep, deep in the jungle. Uh, so to get there, it's going to take us about a three-day trip on boat. So this is my first trip, so it's myself, uh, my partner, Usias, who's an indigenous guy, and his wife, and we jump in the boat, and, and we take off, and we're really excited. But I don't know if you've spent significant time in a boat uh, but after three or four hours, uh, it gets pretty boring, right? <laughs> and so I found myself kind of dozing off in the front of the boat, and I thought, hey, Jesus did this with his disciples. I'm not going to fight it, you know? And so I did. I took a nap, uh, and then about, you know, an hour later, I woke up uh, only to see that as we were going down the river, there's about, there's two boats, one on either side of us, ahead of us, kind of closing in on us. Uh, I think, oh, that's strange. And so as we approach, uh, I see there's four to five men in each boat, and they've all got masks on, and they're all holding guns. And as we get even closer, they start screaming at us, say, give us your money, or, or we're gonna kill you. Uh, immediately, I thought, well, the joke's on them. We don't have any money. Uh, we're missionaries, you know? Uh, but they, they didn't think that was funny. I didn't say that. But as they, yeah, as they get into the boat, they, again, they're screaming at us and have us get on the floor, and they're... I can feel their, their rifles poking into our backs and they're continuing to say, hey, give us your money or, or we will kill you. And we're trying to explain, hey, we, don't, we really don't have money. We have resources because we're gonna go to this village, yada, yada. And this really frustrates them. So they decide the best thing to do is to split us all up. And so they take my partner and his wife and they put them in one of their boats and the rest of them get in the boat that I'm in and then we all kind of take off uh, seemingly in different directions. Uh, and it was at this moment that I think like the soberness of the moment really hit me and I thought, oh my gosh, the, my one guy that knows where we are, that can speak the language really well, <laughs> he's gone. Uh, and I really remember thinking, I should pray. Like now is the time to be praying. Uh, and so I did. You know, I just asked the Lord, would you just give us favor, help us to know what to do? Like um, we're here because we're trying to follow you, trying to be obedient. So would you just give us favor, keep us safe and and your will be done. And so about 30 minutes later, we kind of all meet back up in this cove off the main river, uh, which was a praise because I'm back with my partner, but also another sobering moment because now no one can see whatever's about to happen to us. And so 
Uh, at this time, they, they all get back on our boat and just start taking, through, taking all of our stuff and, and removing it and putting it on their boats. And, uh, but the Lord really answered our prayer. In this moment, we kind of had this spirit of boldness. Uh, and so we begin to share, hey, well, the reason we don't have any money is because of this guy named Jesus. Uh, have you heard about Jesus? We're going to tell people about this story. Have you heard this story? So we're kind of unpacking to them uh, the gospel as they're unpacking our stuff, you know? Uh, and so we're going through this, and they're listening, but not really intently. And a couple minutes go by, and we begin to become even more bold. And so we say, hey, you guys need to be really careful uh, because the things that you're stealing, they don't actually belong to us. Uh, they belong to the Lord, like they're God's things. Uh, and this really freaked them out. <laughs> and so they begin to kind of, uh, I mean, they still have our stuff, but they're, they're really bothered by this, so much so that a couple minutes go by, uh, and they actually approach us and say, like, we're sorry. Like, like would you forgive us? Uh, and, and would you pray for us? And we said, yes, we will, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so we do, we pray, we kind of make peace, you know, but they still have all of our stuff in their boat. And so uh, we said, hey, would you guys be willing to give us some of our stuff back? Um, because they earlier had told us, hey, the reason we're doing this, the reason uh, we had to do this, because our family situation is just really tough, and we just kind of have to do this to make a living. And so we said, well, would you be willing to give us some of it back so that we can go tell others about this story and go to you know the village that we're trying to get to, and they kind of huddle up and think about it, and they say, yeah, we'd be willing to do that. <laughs> so, okay, so they, they give us some of our stuff back, and uh, then we kind of make peace one more time, and then we kind of all head our separate ways. And I'd say that story, I think it's a good picture. Um, yes, they did leave with some, quite a bit of our stuff, but they also left with a new knowledge of the father of whom stuff they were actually stealing, so. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So there's actually a really awesome caveat to this story. God really actually did a miracle, I'm convinced. So tell them about the fuel situation. Yeah, so like I said, they gave us some things back. They gave us about 10 gallons of fuel in, in one of our motors. We had two motors. Uh, but the catch is to get to the place where the pirates uh, kind of intercepted us initially, it took 40 gallons of fuel going down river, so like with the flow, but we didn't have enough to go on to the village. We're gonna have to go back to base camp on 10 gallons of gas up river, so against the current. Uh, so like, it's just not possible. And so we ended up floating down the river a little more, spending the night there, waking up early the next morning and just saying, Lord, we, we need a miracle. Like we need your help to get home. Uh, and we made it all the way back to base camp on those 10 gallons of gas up river. So definitely a miracle. Awesome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 40 gallons with the current, 10 gallons against the current. God stretched it, man. Yes, sir. He did yes, it. Sir. Five loaves and two fishes, multiplied it. So this had to be a really scary thing. It's easy to sit and talk about it now, but uh, let's face it, you could have died that day. Mm. And uh, most times, statistically, you guys are maybe kidnapped, held for ransom, deep in the Amazon, nobody ever sees you again, hears from you again, or they just put a bullet in you that day. Nobody knows for sure what happens to you. Uh, so it was a really scary thing. Mm. Can I ask you, is it, was it worth it? Mm. Was it worth it to you? Yeah, 
It, it was, uh, it was, and, and I think because of the end of that story, you know, just to be able to be in that unique situation that was not one that I planned, <laughs> but that these men with families got to hear the gospel that may never have heard it otherwise. So I would say yes, it was worth it. Had you died that day, would it still be worth it to you? Mm. Yes, I would say yes, because my life is not my own, and to be honest, I, I had to die to a lot of myself just to be in that position, to, to be willing to go uh, and, and share. So yes, sir. Awesome, awesome, we love you, man. Yeah. Give it up for Jason, you. would you? What a story, isn't it? Hashtag fearless. Talk about living fearlessly, and that is our theme. And Jason had given his life away already to even be deep in the Amazon in Peru, and that really is what living fearlessly is about. It begins with living selflessly because you cannot lose that which you've already given away. You can't lose your life when you've already given it to Jesus. And that is what we're learning about. That's what we're talking about. Our theme for two years is fearless, overcoming the fears that hold us to live by faith so that we can truly live a life that is fearless for Jesus. I wanna talk today about that kind of faith, risky faith, dangerous faith. Your faith may never take you deep into the Amazon. You may never get maybe kidnapped by river pirates, but if you're gonna bring God glory, it's gonna demand that you live risky, that you live dangerously, to live fearlessly in a way that brings God glory demands a faith that is risky. And did you know that unless you're risking for God, you're not living by faith in God? See, in this Western paradigm of Christianity, we wanna have a faith that costs nothing. We wanna have a safe faith. We wanna tempt things that come with a guarantee, things that we can see. But I want you to see that that's not faith, that faith has to be risky. Unless we're living by faith, and risking things for God. We're not even pleasing God. This is what it says in Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Which means if we're not risking something for God, we're not pleasing to God because we're not exercising faith in God. We need to abandon self-sufficiency. And so that his complete sufficiency is our only hope in some capacity. Uh, this is a very convicting verse for me. Romans 14, 23. It says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Meaning you can attempt to do good things for God, but if it does not, also including having faith in God, is still not acceptable in the eyes of God. You see, the only thing God cares about in the end is us walking by faith and trusting him. Now I want you to see that a lot of people think, well, faith is just blind, but listen carefully. Faith is risky, but not reckless. Uh, it's bold, but not blind. And I tell you that because a lot of people think, well, you Christians, you just have to close your eyes and take a leap and just blindly believe. But that's not true at all. Listen, faith is bold, but it's never blind. In fact, here's what Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says. This is how God defines faith, all right? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want you to notice wishful thinking and hoping for something are not the same thing. Wishful thinking is just crossing your fingers and hoping it comes true. But that's different than true hope or faith. Uh, faith has a substance to it. Substance is something you can touch. Something is, substance is something you can see. 
And so faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, there's evidence for what we believe. It's not a blind belief, but a true evidence for what we believe. Even though you can't see it, or maybe hold it, or fully explain it, or perhaps even prove it, there's still evidence for it. I was talking to an atheist some time back, and we were having a conversation about God, and she said, well, Pastor Phil, you think I just have to blindly close my eyes and just believe in God? That would be like you pointing to a barn and you telling me there's a unicorn behind that barn, and then I'm just supposed to believe there's a unicorn behind that barn. I said, no, that's not at all what I'm saying. On the other hand, if there was a shadow of a unicorn coming out from behind the barn, all of a sudden there would be evidence that there's a unicorn behind the barn. So you can't see it, you can't prove it, but there's a shadow in the shape of it coming out from behind it. You see there's evidence that there's something there, and that's the nature of belief in God. Listen, it's impossible to think that there is a creation without a creator, that there is a beginning without a beginner. And I want you to see the evidence then of our faith. It's not just blind faith. Did you know that faith is built on statistical probability? In other words, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. So most of you know if you've been here throughout the year, earlier this year, I drove down to Dallas and I bungee jumped because it is the fearless theme after all and I'm trying to face my fears, one of which has been heights. And so just kind of for an object lesson, I've been doing what feels like risky things and jumping off high places and living to tell about it, okay? So I'm driving down to Dallas to bungee jump and I actually googled the statistical possibility the statistical probability of dying <laughs> while bungee jumping I had a 1 in 500,000 chance of dying while bungee jumping I like my odds of surviving so I made the jump I want you to see there's a statistical probability based on faith. I had faith that I could survive because I liked my odds. I had better odds of dying in a wreck on the interstate on the way to Dallas than dying while bungee jumping. My odds of not surviving the trip to Dallas and back was actually one in 264,000 to be exact. You see, you, every time you get in your car, you're living by faith. Did you know that you are living by faith every time you get behind the wheel of your car because there's some crazy drivers out there? I mean, you're putting a lot of faith in things that you can't control. Did you know, I'm not trying to be morbid, but you have a one in 45,000 chance of dying in a wreck this year? You do. But you don't think about it when you get in your car to drive. It doesn't even in your mind. You know why? Because you know somewhere in the remote recesses of your mind, the statistical probability of surviving that drive in your car is pretty good. You see, that's the nature of faith. You do lots of things by faith every single day. How am I convinced that Jesus really is the promised one, the Messiah, God's son? I'll tell you why. It's not just blind belief. There's a guy named Peter Stoner. He is an MIT scientist, a mathematician, an expert in the modern science of mathematical probability. And did you know that he determined that for even one man in history to fulfill all 61 prophecies made about the Messiah in the Old Testament centuries before Jesus Jesus came for just one man to fulfill just eight of those 61 prophecies, the probability of that happening randomly was one in 10 to the 21st power. Everybody say, wow. wow. Nobody even knows what that number is. 
One in 10 to the 21st power. Do you understand our minds can even fathom a number that size? That is a one with 21 zeros behind it. What he was saying is statistically, scientifically, the probability that Jesus really is the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior who had come. He's saying statistically, it's an impossibility that he's not the one. It's a mathematical probability, in fact, an absolute that he is the one. You see, I'm putting my faith in Jesus for my eternal destiny. But it's not blind faith, it's built on probability. I like my odds. You see, that's the nature of faith. So faith isn't reckless, it is risky. Oh, faith isn't blind, it is bold. And that's the kind of faith that it's gonna take to bring God glory and reach a city and live a life that's gonna echo and ring for all of eternity. That was the faith of the Macedonians. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we've been studying. So in Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is the quintessential chapters on New Testament giving. And we're talking about living generously. Now we're all called to give and go. We're not just called to give so others can go. But you need to know that when you give a dollar to Abundant Life, it helps support over 50 missionaries around the world to go places we can't go. Help support guys like Jason to go on those missions in Peru. So the idea of giving is so that others can go where maybe you can't go. But understand, we're all called to give and go. Meaning you may not take the gospel to the nations, but it's our responsibility to take the gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers, uh, to uh, the people we go to school with, the people we live with, the quick trip clerk. I mean, the opportunity is endless, but it's going to require we live fearlessly to live that kind of life that we will advance the name of Jesus in a way that will echo and ring for all of eternity. Now, you know the backdrop, if you've been here for a couple of weeks, the backstory of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is there's been a horrible famine in the ancient world. It has affected the entire Roman Empire, and Christians are suffering, especially in Jerusalem and Judea. And so the early churches of the early days of Christianity are getting together and they're part of a relief effort. And the Apostle Paul and the other early missionaries are going from church to church throughout the Roman world, taking up a collection for those churches that have been hit the hardest. And so earlier, a year earlier, the Corinthians, because they're a wealthy church living in a wealthy city, had made great big promises about how much they were going to give and how they were going to give generously. But a year later, they still hadn't given anything, while the Macedonians, who were living in poverty, had given so generously. And so Paul's comparing the faith of the Macedonians with the faith of the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, Corinthians, you have money and you're wealthy, yet you have the scarcity Mentality, whereas the Macedonians are in poverty, but they have given freely and generously. And you see, that's what God wants us to do, the way he wants us to live. Whether we have a lot financially or just a little financially, we can all live generously because generosity is not a commodity of the wealthy. You see, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous. And so he's getting ready for Titus, his partner in ministry, to Corinth, and he wants to prepare them. And here's where we pick up the story in chapter 8 of verse 10. If you're ready for this, say fearless. All right, here we go. He says, and in this I give advice. How many of you would love to have some advice from the Apostle Paul? I mean, you know, you answer these silly questionnaires sometimes about, you know, if you could have dinner with anybody in the world, living or dead, who would it be? I'm telling you, Paul's always on my list somewhere. Like, I would love to hang with Paul for an afternoon, wouldn't you? Just pick his brain about stuff. All right, so he's gonna let us pick his brain a little bit, okay? He's gonna give us advice. 
about giving and living generously. He says this, and in this, I give advice. It is not to your, it is, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. So here's Paul's advice. When you say you're gonna do something, follow through with it. If you promise God you're gonna do something, you better do it. See, they promised a year earlier they're gonna give to this offering. So far, they've given nothing. He's saying, hey, it's to your advantage to go ahead and follow through and perform that which you promised. Don't make God a promise and then not do it because that is definitely not to your advantage. He says, look, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. He says, for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. What does God want first? He wants a willing mind within us all. He wants a willing heart within us all. God's not trying to wrench anything out of your tight little fisted hand. He wants us to do this out of a desire, not a sense of duty. There have been some who have used this text and actually tried to prove from this text that God is a socialist and a socialistic system is, is really what God desires from our government. Why don't you see, it is not somebody coercing you to be generous, making you to be generous, forcing you to be generous. That's not generosity. He's arguing for a willing mind because God is so generously given to us himself that we would generously give back of ourselves to him. So he says that of a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. I want you to see that Paul is teaching the Corinthians something he's already told the Macedonians. He's saying, look, God will only hold you accountable for what you do with what you have, not for what you can't do with what you don't have. Hey, quit looking on what you don't have and what you can't do and start looking at what you do have and what you can do. Because one day we're going to stand before God and he is not going to judge us. He's not going to hold us accountable for what we couldn't do with what we didn't have. He's going to hold us accountable for what we did do with what we did have. And so it begins with just looking at what you have, whether you have a lot or you have a little, your opportunities, your energies, your abilities, your money, and using it for God's glory, for kingdom priorities. You see, that's what Paul is now saying. Whether you have a lot like the Corinthians materially or very little like the Macedonians materially, it's about simply being a steward of what God has given you, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. It all begins with understanding that one day I'm gonna be accountable for what I've been given and not what I haven't been given. I want you to see, 1 Corinthians 4.2 calls us stewards. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. What is a steward? A steward is not the owner. A steward is a manager of somebody else's stuff. As the New Testament followers of Jesus, we're not owners of anything, but we're owners of everything. I don't know if you know this or not, or if you thought about this recently, but we have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is the author and the owner of all that I have and all that I am, which makes me an owner of nothing and a steward of everything. That's what the Apostle Paul is now saying. You say, no, wait a minute, Phil. I earn my money. I work hard for my money. Yes, I'm sure you do. But did you know that it's God who gave you the ability to earn that money apart from which you wouldn't have that money? Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Phil. 
I work hard to buy that house. I work hard to take care of that house. Yes, I'm sure you do. You should be a steward of that house. But did you know that God gave you the ability to buy that house, apart from which you wouldn't have that house? You see, everything goes back to him. He's the owner of all that we are. He's the owner of everything we have. That makes us stewards, managers of what is his. And church life, I told you recently, you know, if you've raised in church like me, you've heard all about the tithe. A tithe is a tenth of our income. But do you understand while the tithe is a tenth, God doesn't just own a tenth. He owns 100%. If I made $50 last week, how much of it is God's? $50. He doesn't just get a tenth. He doesn't just get $5. It all belongs to him. And so the mentality should not be how much of my money should I give back to God. The mentality ought to be how much of God's money should I keep for me. See, all of a sudden, that makes me a steward and not an owner. And I'm trying to tell you, it begins with the little. And as you are faithful with the little, God will begin to give you much. But it doesn't matter how much you have materially, if you don't begin letting God work in your heart personally so that you can start living generously, you'll be like the Corinthians and always have a scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality is no matter how much you have, it's never enough. I don't know who said it the first time. A lot of people have been quoted. I don't know who really gets the credit for saying this. I think it probably goes back to Rockefeller, but there's been other billionaires and millionaires quoted along the way too. I don't know who said it first, but somebody is said to have asked Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in the world 100 years ago, what is it that multimillionaires want more than anything? And he said, another million. See, that's the scarcity mentality. No matter how much you have, you still want more. And I would suggest that we all in some ways struggle with this scarcity mentality even if you don't have a lot materially or even if you do have a lot materially because it's built within all of us inwardly. Uh, it, it, it kind of was highlighted in my life this week. So this past week, I spoke at the gathering Thursday night. Ladies, if you haven't been yet to the monthly gathering of women at Abundant Life, it's an awesome move of God. Once a month on a Thursday night, uh, we call it the gathering. I spoke there this past week, and as a part of the gathering, there was this coat drive, and we collected hundreds of coats to uh, donate them to people in need this winter throughout Kansas City. So as I'm getting ready to go, I'm opening up my closet, and I've got coats hanging there that I had literally not worn in years. There's still nice coats, there's still warm coats, some of them are a little bit dated, uh, but I'm trying to be a part of this coat drive, and so, you know, I'm pulling out coats, showing them to Krista, she says, yeah, let's give that one, throw it in a pot, how about this one, yes, let's give that one. I pull out this coat, and I look at it, I go, wait a minute, I still kind of like this coat. Mind you, I haven't worn it in 15 years, but I think to myself, I might wear this again someday. See, there's the scarcity mentality. I haven't used it for 15 years, literally, but I might someday. And so I'm debating on this code, and Krista looks at it, and she says, spontaneous utterance, spontaneously says, I'm picturing you wearing that when you still had lots of hair. She wasn't trying to get a dig in. It's just a spontaneous utter. She's picturing the season of life. I used to wear this. She's picturing me 
with hair. That's why I had such warm feelings about this coat, I guess. <laughs> Obviously, it was a different season of life, and I haven't worn it for a long time. Okay, this is a coat I need to give away. Oh, why was that so hard? Scarcity mentality. Whether you have a lot like Rockefeller, what's every billionaire want? Another billion. What's every millionaire want? Another million. Or you have very little. It's about a code. It's learning that Jesus is sufficient, that he really is enough, and I can give away what I have, and he will still provide for my needs. You see, that, that is what we have to overcome to live generously and live fearlessly because the scarcity mentality is what helps us continue to live in insecurity and anxiety. Well, I won't have enough for me. And I want you to see that this is why we must get into stewardship and not ownership. Listen, as you are faithful with the little, God gives you, he will entrust you with more. And here's the principle. You don't have a right to ask God for more till you've been faithful with the little he, he's given you now. See, a lot of us don't have more because quite frankly, we wouldn't be faithful if we had more. And God knows it. And so the question is not how much more God might give you, but what are you doing with what you have now? You see, there's the principle in scripture Jesus taught in Matthew 25 and verse 23. One day we're gonna stand in front of him at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to judge us not based on what we had, but what we did with what we had. He says these words, for those who have been faithful with whatever they've been given, well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things, enter in to the joy of your Lord. How many of you would love to be ruler over many things? Like I want to be ruler over a lot, but I better be faithful with the little and he's speaking here in view of the parable of the talents. One guy was given one talent, another guy given two talents, another guy given five talents. The talent in Jesus' day was a measure of money. Picture one guy gets a dollar, one guy gets two dollars, one guy gets five dollars. What are you gonna do with it? Two of them invested what they had in things that mattered, the things that lasted forever. They were faithful with the little. God makes them ruler over much. You have another guy with the one dollar, the one talent. He buries it. He squanders it. He's selfish with it. You see, he's not rewarded accordingly having become ruler over much because he squandered what he had. If you're not faithful with the little, don't ask God to give you more. And it begins wherever you are in life, in whatever capacity. I'm telling you this because uh, sometimes I think we look at what we have and we think, well, what I have is so little, it just doesn't matter. But it does matter. So I don't have any idea who gives what financially in our church. I've never looked. I don't ask. I don't want to know. Dave Williams is our business administrator. He's really the only one on our staff that knows. And I've told Dave, there's one thing you don't have to do if I ever ask you to. If I ever ask you, Dave, how much does so-and-so give? Don't tell me. You know why? I don't want to know because I don't want to be changed by money. I don't want to be controlled by money. I don't want to look at you differently based on how much you give or don't give, quite frankly. So it's just, I don't, I don't want to know. Just so you know, I don't know. But Dave started sending out emails, thank you emails, to those that give to Abundant Life for the first time. And he didn't tell me who, but he read an email to me because it lets me, I think, into the mindset of maybe a lot of us here that don't have a lot to give. And basically the email in response to Dave's thank you was thank you. Thank you for noticing, and uh, thank you for the email of appreciation. And then it said this, 
I didn't give for a long time because I felt like what I had to give in a church of this side was so little, it didn't really matter. And I want you to know it does matter. You know why it matters? Because as we all give what we have and we all do our part, all of a sudden, we're able to do together what none of us could ever do apart. Hey, you can't sponsor a thousand kids in Peru. I can't either, but I can, I can sponsor one. See, a thousand people doing that one thing, all of a sudden we're doing something together none of us could ever do apart, and that's the nature of giving. And everybody's just giving their little, that little then becomes much. And it begins with whatever little thing you have, whether you have a lot or a little. A lot of people think, well, I'll be faithful and I'll be generous when I can afford to be. If God would give me more, then I really would be. No, that's not true. If you can't be faithful and you can't be generous with $50 a week, you wouldn't be faithful and you wouldn't be generous with five thousand dollars a week because the numbers just get bigger began for me many years ago I'm 21 years of age I've just really followed Jesus I'm just now getting my life right with Jesus and uh, I've given my life to Jesus that's what it means to be a Christian I've given my life away belongs to him when you give your life away to Jesus he gets everything that comes with it and that's that's what the way I looked at it now not only had I given my life away to Jesus I'd almost give my life away to this girl named Krista, okay? So we're in this long distance relationship. I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. She's in Springfield, Missouri, later Kansas City, Missouri, going to UMKC. It didn't really matter because these are the days when phones were still hooked to walls. <laughs> wow, life was different then, wasn't it? And it doesn't seem that long ago. Not only are phones still hooked to walls, but there's these things called long distance charges. Anybody remember those? Before cell phones, before one flat fee, before FaceTime, before Facebook, before texting, before instant messaging. I mean, long distance relationships are easier than they've ever been. Back in these days, it was talking long distance. Last week's message, what would you do for love? All right, what would I do for love? Talk long distance, about 45 cents a minute. So my roommate had a long distance relationship. His girlfriend's in Houston. I have a long distance relationship. We get the long distance bill every month and he starts going through it with a highlighter, highlighting his, highlighting mine. Then we add it up, we find out how much of us owe. And I could never pay my long distance bill because you know what you do for love, I mean you spend hours on the phone talking to your girl. Gentlemen, if you've been married 25 years, I suggest you keep talking to your girl. Ladies, I'm trying to have your back up here, okay? I'm trying. That's how you stay in love. So we're in love, and we don't care how much it costs because we're going to talk and talk and talk. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, every month the bill's coming. I have no way of paying for my long-distance bill. I'm a scholarship athlete, NCAA rule states. I can't have a job. And so I got tuition paid for. I don't have anything else paid for. What am I going to do? Long-distance bill's here. I remember one month I had this gold necklace. It was a diamond-cut gold necklace given to me by another girl my senior year of high school. 1986 BC, before Krista. I pawned it for $23. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he got me good, but I didn't care. I had my phone money, all right? So I finally, I do that over, I, I basically hawk everything I possibly can, and I don't have anything left I can pawn. And so one month, I go down to the plasma center, I hook up my arm, I sell my plasma for my princess. I'm giving my blood for my bride. I realize 15 bucks a month, this will almost cover my phone bill. I sell my plasma every month thereafter to pay for my phone bill. I had 15 bucks a month now. Now listen, I've just started following Jesus, and part of following Jesus for me meant I'm gonna tithe. I don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't know a lot of theology. I've told you recently the tithe is not a New Testament commandment, but it is a guide. I decided that I'm gonna live by the tithe. I made 15 bucks a month. Guess how much I gave to God? Buck 50, there it is. I can do that kind of math. See, it began years ago when I'm just a 21-year-old, little more than a kid, trying to get his life right with Jesus, it began with 15 bucks a month, and Chris and I got married, and we made this decision, we're gonna be faithful. I, I went on the police department in 1992, starting pay was $25,000 a year, whopping. I thought I was rich. Most money I'd ever made, I thought, wow, it didn't take long to realize, oh, I'm not rich. I mean, 25K wasn't that much even then, but guess what we did? We tithe every day, every week, every time, every dime. You see, it begins when you have very little because it's an attitude of heart, and God will not trust you with more if you're not being faithful today with what you have. And as you are faithful with the little you have, then God entrusts you with more. You've been faithful over little. I'm gonna make you ruler over much. Let me ask you, if God hasn't trusted you with much or even more, is it maybe because you haven't been faithful with the little? You see, this is the principle that Jesus is talking about. We began 19 years ago in this little building. If you came to church to Abundant Life 19 years ago, this is where you would have been sitting. A lot of people think, well, it's just always been here. No, it hasn't. It's about 19 years of being faithful with the little things. I remember sitting in this little brick building Having a business meeting, we were dreaming about building. What is today the admin building, our first building where we worshiped and met for many years. And I remember a lady sitting in this building in our business meeting as we're dreaming about building a bigger building. And I remember her saying, well, if we're not faithful with the building we have today, we don't have a right to ask God for another building later. I thought, you know what, that's exactly right, that's true. If we're not good stewards of this, why would God give us this? We had a budget of about 200,000 then. We wanted to be out of debt. By the end of 2000, we were 164,000 in debt. I'm telling you, it didn't matter if it was 164 million, 164,000, we didn't have it. But we believed God for the impossible, and we wanted to be faithful. We had a budget of about 200,000, and we wanted to be out of debt by the end of the year, but we also wanted to tithe as a church in a tenth of our income. We were gonna give away, to give away what God has given us. So we had a missions budget of about about $20,000, and that's how we started adding missionaries and supporting global partners, and 19 years later, that $20,000 mission budget is 60 times that. Now listen, I am not bragging on us, I'm bragging on Jesus. I'm boasting on Jesus. He will do what he says he'll do. When you're faithful with this, he's gonna make you ruler over this. 
And I'm convinced it goes back to that little brick building and the decisions we made when we just had this little thing and this little building and this little budget and just a few people. Listen, I'm convinced I wouldn't have this platform to get to preach gospel from this pulpit had I not started out as a police officer sharing the gospel from that pulpit. See, everybody here has a pulpit. Everybody here has a platform. And I understood even then, my vocation is my mission. My vocation is the place I'm gonna fulfill the Great Commission. I'm gonna share the gospel with my peers at the time with the police officers. Now, had I not been faithful sharing the gospel there, I'm convinced God wouldn't have brought me here. Hear people say sometimes, well, you know, Pastor Phil, I think I'm, I think I'm being called to missions. Uh, I think I'm gonna be called to go overseas and take the gospel to the nations. Are you sure? Or you just want a vacation? Yeah, it'd be exciting to go to Europe. I think I'm being called to Hawaii. <laughs> they need Jesus in Hawaii. Uh, people, and I, you know what I always say, man, I'm excited for you. Our church will get behind you. We wanna help you get where God wants you to go. But let me ask you, are you sharing the gospel here? See, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. If you're not serious about reaching your neighbors, God's not gonna send you to the nations. Be a steward of the platform God has given you here, the pulpit God has given you here, the sphere God has given you here. He's not gonna give you a larger sphere of influence until you're being faithful with this sphere of influence. When's the last time you had a gospel conversation? When's the last time you shared Jesus with anybody? Are you being faithful with your opportunity, with your ability? Are you living on urgency for the sake of eternity? Listen carefully. Jesus goes on, for to whom everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You know what Jesus is teaching? You can give it all or can keep it all, but if you try to keep it all, you will lose it all. Here's the risk. You try to hang on to what you have, I will promise the day will come, you will lose it. You will not take it with you. But Jesus would teach him, when you give it all away, you don't lose a thing. You keep it all by giving it all, but when you try to keep it all, you will lose it all. I want you to see, as God gives you more ability and opportunity, he gives you greater responsibility and accountability. See, as you rise in ability, you rise in accountability. In the eyes of God, now that I have more than 15 bucks a month under my stewardship, I'm more accountable now than I was as a 21-year-old college kid. Now that I have this platform, I am more responsible with this platform than I was with that little platform. See, as God gives you more, you are accountable for more. And some of us are accountable for a lot. What are you doing with the a lot you've been given? There's gonna be great responsibility at the judgment seat of Christ when we stand before him in heaven. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Would you agree that our church has been given a lot? We have been blessed, yes? And with that blessing, comes great responsibility to whom much is given much more will be required 
Given less, less required. You've been given more, more is required. And this is what Paul goes on as he talks to the Corinthians. He closes it out this way. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Paul tells the Corinthians, look, I'm not suggesting you give so much so that now you're in poverty too and somebody has to take care of you. It's about being a steward. You don't help the poor by becoming poor is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, look, but I do want you to give equally in proportion to your ability. The Macedonians have given everything, though they have nothing. You have everything, and you've so far given nothing. You see, ultimately, we cannot all give equally because we haven't been given equal ability, but we can all give equally sacrificially in proportion to our ability. And what is a lot for one person is just a little for another. And this is what Paul is teaching. This is why no one at this church will ever say you should tithe, and once you tithe, your responsibility is done. You know why? Because a tenth of our income for some of us, that would be easy. That would take no faith. For others, that would take great faith. That would be way risky. It's about you and Jesus getting alone prayerfully, carefully, intentionally asking God, what is generosity to you? This is where Chris and I are now. We are genuinely seeking God's face about what does it look like in our life financially as it pertains to kingdom causes and giving back to our church and giving back to these global partners to advance the gospel in all nations. Because what was really, really hard 10 years ago, it's not hard today. It's about continually asking Jesus to show you the next step. As I'm doing that, I'm gonna ask you to because we can do together what none of us could ever do apart. And I'm not just talking about your money and how you steward it for the things that last for eternity. I'm talking about your life, your opportunity, your ability, your uh, opportunity to advance the gospel in our own city. 40 paradigm young adults took the gospel to our city this past weekend called Unashamed. The gospel was shared over and over and over again. Heard about one girl that got saved this weekend because one of our young adults shared the gospel in our own city. So you don't have to get on a plane and fly to the nations. It begins with your neighbors. And some of these young adults are here right now. I think we should commend them as a church family, don't you? I mean, this is awesome. Move of God among the millennial generation. And this is where it begins. It's about the sacrifice of your time talents and treasures for one that sacrificed his all for you. So the question today is this, what will you sacrifice? To sacrifice nothing that costs nothing will accomplish nothing. But to sacrifice all, to give all we have for the one that gave all he had, that's what it means to live a life that is selfless, a life that is generous, that will echo and ring forever and ever endeavor, endeavor. Jesus, I pray for every person here that, God, you would put it in our hearts individually and corporately as a church family about how to live generously, to give away what God has given us. Would you help us, I pray, as you did in those early days 19 years ago, to do what seemed like impossible things. God, we're going to keep doing and attempting what seems impossible not reckless, but risky, not blind, but bold, 
for the sake of eternity to advance your name, your fame in this city and beyond. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And I pray your gracious hand be on us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God the glory today with me? Praise him, would you? Hey guys, let me share. You see these wonderful people up here. They're here because they want to serve you. As others are going that way, some of you ought to come this way. You want to know more about what it means to know Jesus, really, to be a Christian, to know that your home is in heaven. Uh, that's what these folks are here. Maybe there's something in your life you just need prayer and ministry within the body. You come this way. That's why they're here. We love you a bunch. God bless you.